Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though. Let's dive right in. Hello everyone. Welcome to another show. I'm Shane Hoda with XGrowth. And today I'm talking to Andrew Starrier, Global Content Strategy and Operations Manager at Hexagon about how to approach content creation for your account-based strategy in order to increase engagement. On that note, let's dive in. Andrew, thanks for joining us. John, thank you so much for having me fantastic it's great to have you it's great to have you i mean you know we're, we're talking abm we're talking content i feel like content is is such a big piece of uh of what what goes into abm uh and, and account-based strategy right tell, tell us a little bit about how do you see content playing into an account-based approach yeah I think it's um I'm obviously biased because I think content is pretty key to everything and I think from a, an account based side of things what we're looking at is obviously with account based marketing it's getting more personalized and I think that's sort of where content is heading long term is getting much more down to the account level or the one to one level where you can produce content for certain stakeholders in the buying group so it's pretty much critical but getting to the point where you can effectively deliver account-based marketing and personalized content, that's the challenge. And so realistically, where I think most maturity sits from my experience in my career is kind of around the one-to-many, where people are sort of just producing content as a means to, I guess, engage potential buying role uh, stakeholders. But I think for account-based marketing, it needs to be a little bit more sophisticated in terms of what you're producing. The general generalities need to come out and you need to start researching these companies and providing content in context, I guess, would be the buzzword that I'm trying to create. Got it. Well, let's talk about personalization, right? Uh, you, I mean, you touched on it and you said one-to-one. I feel like one of the challenges is the amount of resources that it takes. Yeah, right. Absolutely. How and especially for you know, I mean, co- company like Hexagon International, it's not like one geography, and then you have like twenty accounts in there that are really important that you want to do one to one. It's across the world. It's hundreds of accounts that are really important to the organization. How how would you approach that complexity? How how do you what is you know what is kind of like your advice and and way that you approach the level of complexity that that brings to the table? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's a distinct challenge that we face, I think. Um, And solving that and being perfect in that sphere is always going to be very difficult. I think what we look at, we obviously break it down. I think there's a couple of things to sort of frame that question so we can sort of dive into it. One is we obviously have business lines. And so that takes a layer of complexity out in that certain business lines are focused in certain areas. And the other side of it is, is that quite often about 10 to 20% of your content will do the heavy lifting, whereas 80% of it, you know, it's like a Pareto distribution, you know, 80% of it probably will rarely ever get used essentially. And so I think when you look at those two things, it's kind of like, okay, understanding well, what is that 10 to 20% of the content that does the heavy lifting? And then how do we optimize those messages and themes in that content for those specific business lines? 
And again, that would still be looking at a one-to-many approach, right? I don't think you'd be getting down to a personalization level at that point. Because when you sort of, one of the things that we look at, I guess, when we say, take a look at a hexagon with one of our business lines. So we obviously develop construction software for sort of major construction companies to build mega projects. So just looking at that business line, the issues that they face and can almost come down to a, a company level. One of the ways that we research that in terms of looking at personalization is to go and, I mean, one of the things about being an enterprise business as well is that you often have the benefit of your clientele being publicly listed companies. So, a lot of the information is available. So, we kind of go into investor days, annual reports and see what they're talking about and identify those issues in that information to then create sort of one to few content at that point. So, looking at more specific content for those guys around those issues that they face. And so that can sort of help us research and develop a suite or a plan for content for various accounts by amalgamating all of the information that they've put out publicly. Uh, So that's, I mean, that's for us uh, a very useful way to approach it in trying to start to get to a level of personalization. But obviously, again, then production becomes the bottleneck because obviously bespoke pieces of content per account starts to balloon out into this juggernaut of the amount of content that you need to create. And it's not... For where I sit as well, I'm very much on the side of let's create evergreen assets that can live forever in the business as opposed to a news dedicated blog. So that can also be challenging as well because you're building content that's specific for that business's strategy for now, which is liable to change as well. So yeah, that that's again, another balancing act that you need to sort of sort out. Yeah, balancing it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you you kind of do that research and, and uh, you're absolutely right when you're clientele or or customers are publicly listed and they have a lot of information out there, it is so much more easier versus uh, it's a private company and they don't share a lot of information. God helps you help you there when you're trying to create content and trying to make it personalized. But how deep do you reckon the personalization should go with, with content? For me, it's not like you don't want to get down to the creepy level where you're like, hey, Mike Smith, the head of operations at Company X, you know, I noticed on your LinkedIn, you posted this the other day. You know, that's kind of getting a bit weird. But I think from a personalization level, you're just looking at, well, what are the major challenges or pain points that these guys face? Because what what I've noticed throughout my career as well is there's uh, during the informational stage or, you know, during the buying cycle, when someone goes, okay, there's a problem within our business and I need to agitate change. Often you'll see that reflected in our CRM or Salesforce is what we use. As they go through these, some stakeholders go through a glut of downloading content. And so they're sort of almost spamming themselves with information so that they can get ready to prepare a business case, I would presume is the next step from what I can tell in their buying journey, to say these are the kinds of things, these are the software products that we need to request for proposal. And so I think in terms of a personalization level for for a start before you can go any further is to understand what it is when they're spamming themselves with research that you can provide that will allow them to create an effective business case for the next step. So in terms of a, a level of personalization, you want to just be understanding really implicitly, and you can do this through interviewing customers if you have that kind of relationship 
Or again, sort of one of the things that we do is we speak a lot with analysts. So, you know, your gardeners and foresters being your tier ones to understand what customers want or what their challenges are. And then obviously you can develop that suite of content for that buying journey. And Gartner actually does a good job of explaining that for B2B businesses as well. And you can just Google that Gartner B2B buying journeys or whatever they call it. And so it's about being present during that journey, during that informational stage. And so I'd say the very first step of personalization is something quite rudimentary or fundamental to content marketing, which is sort of aligning to what you think your persona is their major pain point or challenge. And then obviously aligning that to if they overcame that challenge. So the cost of not doing anything is going to be more painful to your business than actually going ahead and making a change. And I think that's the first level of personalization, which I think most companies are engaged in. But to sort of go a level deeper after that, I think it is that's when you actually need to start having conversations with your customers and understanding the more specific personalized problems that they face. Some of the things that we've come across through that research process is um, similar to our business, similar to I think a lot of major enterprise businesses, there's a major challenge with cross-functional discussions, which is sort of the buzzword digital transformation is sort of building towards is sort of how do you have cross-functional technology uh, that speaks to each other and how do you align functions which have different incentives and different ways of going about things. And so what we're finding is, is that if we develop content for that, it's not really aligned to our product suite, but it is something that these businesses need to overcome. So we should be producing content for it because obviously if we think about it from our stakeholders' perspective, they need to build the business case, which is here's how we would operate cross-functionally and we can provide that information for them because we do have experience in helping companies do that. So that's where you get to that next level of personalization. And I think it's about from that point, building a stronger relationship with the accounts that you are have trust with to develop more specific personalized content as you go along to you. So you can get down to that one-to-one level where this is someone would get a piece of content from your business at an account level and be like, wow, this is actually super specific to my industry. It's super specific to my job role and it's super specific to the challenges I face in my business. That's really good, effective content. Yeah, I, I love how you created those steps where it's industry, persona and then my my company right because i think that's the that's the depth that we can go that, that, that those are the levels of depth that, that you can go with content right industry and then talk about the the people within those industry that matters and then dig deeper into into a specific uh, specific account now how you know what, what i want to ask you as well is how do you leverage abm at at hexagon especially from a regional perspective, because we talked about this. One of the challenges are, you know, there's this thing that is centralized. It's based in HQ. Now HQ could be, you know, usually it's either Europe or, or North America. And then sometimes maybe local would feel they are restricted or they don't have as much control. How do you, how do you manage that? Because also the local team might have a lot more context about, you know what an account is experiencing how do you how do you manage that and how do you how do you address that challenge well that's a, like a pain point that we're going through at hexagon too right is trying to figure that problem out and i think i can speak quite frankly about how that is the major challenge because i think in each region right when you're talking about account-based marketing, you need to sort of have an interlock or a a sort of a a functional working group with sales obviously and sales enablement. And when you start talking about a regional experience, sales are going to be like, well, this is the experience that these guys are having at the account level. 
and that may not always marry up with what's happening or being pushed out of from what's what's global. And so I think that's kind of where when you're particularly talking about account-based marketing and developing content for accounts, that's where there needs to be a huge decentralization or a trust in the process. So there needs to sort of be a framework in place for this is the kind of way that we approach it in terms of developing content. And then you kind of do need that freedom to allow the regions to go ahead and pursue that. Because like you said, there's going to be complexity or differences around what each region is experiencing. So you can't really centralize around that. You can't centrally plan for what's happening in Southeast Asia and that account there. You know, if it's a global group, even the Southeast Asian company is going to be experiencing different challenges to what would be, say, a more mature market in North America, just speaking from our our industries, for example. So it's kind of, that's where the challenge really lies is, you know, how robust is your framework? How robust is your strategy? And how well can your regions then deploy that strategy in context so that you're all getting the same results? And that's where you really need alignment to talk about, okay, well, this is what we're trying to do with ABM. And these are the results that we're trying to get at each phase of that journey for the accounts. That's sort of what we're proposing at the moment. I think while we want to do centralized, more centralized campaigns and content, from an ABM perspective, we're probably going to have to investigate, okay, well, and one of the things that we do well at Hexagon is we do empower the regions to work autonomously. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, if you guys go out and pursue it, you know, can you create a proof of concept in APAC or a, you know, deploy a framework that works that we can then scale rapidly for global or another region like EMEA or whatever it may be. So that's kind of our thinking at the moment. And that's sort of, you know, TBD as to whether that's the most effective way for us. But I think it is, it's just an ongoing challenge, right? Because you can't account for the complexity. It's sort of all the challenges that would be happening at an account-based level. So it's kind of one of those challenging things where it's, although I'm sitting in the global chair, I can't micromanage it. So what do you think, what are your thoughts in terms of that framework? Like what would go into that framework that you would then, you know, pass to, and, and you, know, you might not have had this is might not have been developed, but you know, what do you think are some of the important concepts that have to be in that framework when you pass it down to a regional office? Yeah, I think it's one of the things definitely is obviously identifying who the buying roles are, right? So who are the guys who actually get this thing going? And I've found throughout we've done sort of we do ICPs or what is it called? Something customer profiles. I ideal and- customer profile. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So and that's agreed upon across the group. Right, So this is what the profiles look like. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, throughout my marketing career is the commonalities are everywhere. Even when you talk about industries, there's cross-industry things and, and profile uh, customer profiles and pain points and challenges that happen across industries. So one of the things, that if you're building a framework, is that you need to find the commonalities first between all of the regions so that you can hey, say, hey, these are the guys that we're trying to identify. These are the guys that are most likely to progress a buying role, uh, progress a, a buying journey. And then what we want to look at is, okay, well, how do we develop content for them specifically from my end and then also convert them? And then that falls into like looking at SDRs and how they can have conversations with them. But there sort of needs to be a built-out journey as to what these guys would go through at an account level as well. So... That's where you kind of need to, to marry up with sales and sort of say, well, what is it that you guys do that gets them to eventually buy? And then we'll show you the glue that sticks in with that. And one of the other things as well as part of that framework is what industries you're going after, which has been a, a sort of a source of 
not contention, I'd say, within Hexagon, but it's sort of something that is up for debate where we want to expand into new industries. And so what do those industries look like? And I think that's where we, you really need to understand, okay, well, why are we going into these industries? What's the strategy behind it? So, you know, who are we going after? What's, you know, what's our competitive unique proposition compared to the competition? Who are the competition? Having that kind of framework in place first will always help the next phase, which is kind of, well, this is what their challenges and pain points are. And we can address that with content, events, webinars, all those kinds of things. Right, right. So establish that and then pass it on to, you know, either a regional content person or to, you know, the the director of marketing for that for that space where they would work with an external entity if they don't have the internal resources. Is that, yeah? Yeah, and almost like not even passing it along with them, sort of having them involved in that strategy mm. development, right? So sort of they have a seat at the table along with, you know, if you have a pre-sales function or a sales function, they have a seat at the table as well to discuss what that looks like. And I think Global's role in that as well is to provide a basis for discussion. So here's the framework that we're thinking, you know, like serious decisions has this for account-based marketing, looking at developing content or demand-based, you know, for example, can look at, you know, how are you developing content for one to many and how are you developing one to few or one to one? And where does that sit in the buying journey? And then how do you get sales to feed back on how that content is affecting the customers and whether it's relevant to them and all those kinds of things. So, Developing that framework. So if a region, for example, isn't in lockstep with sales around what account-based marketing is, that is a, the, the basis of where they need to start because you actually need to develop a working group first that is going to deliver account-based marketing. And that needs to have cross-functional elements in it. And then from there, you go, okay, well, here's what we kind of need to deliver, which is not just content, but also how are our campaigns going to sit? What are the messages that we want to take to these specific industries that we've identified and then you kind of go out there and put yourself out there and sort of see how it works and take the feedback from sales and also your data that you're collecting from these campaigns. Yeah, yeah, got it. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, if you don't have that component from 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 sales, it just becomes so hard to to have it to make it turn into a success. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to to hear how it works from at, at Hexagon in terms of content and responsibility for producing it, especially for sales team. I mean, you mentioned SDRs, you mentioned, you know, sales enablement. Is that, you know, is that function is like producing content for the SDR team to leverage in open doors? Is that something that comes from the content team or it comes from the sales enablement team? It's a mix of both. How does, how does that work? Yeah, it's complicated. Um, <laughs> so, I think at the moment, the way that it's sort of divvied up is I think we're sort of restructuring the way that we approach sales enablement. And so that's been, that restructure happened at the start of the year. And I think that's a really important area of what we need to decide and define within our journey, right? Is there is a, so I would say some of the things that I traditionally have been more focused on in my career is building that audience for companies, right? So here Mm. are a bunch of people who may not necessarily buy anytime soon in the next six to 12 months, but they are interested in staying abreast of the information that we provide. And that sits separate to what sales enablement are doing. And I think that's where there is sort of just some definitions that need to come in because we do need to build out, okay, from a sales enablement perspective, we need to show people why our products are superior and provide business benefits to the end. And there is a team dedicated to that. And so we work in tandem with them to understand, well, what are our products and what are our selling points for our products? 
And that's what I get involved with that with a lot with analyst relations. So I go in and sort of say, okay, we need to go on brief and discuss this with analysts about our products. And that gives me a better idea of what we're trying to push in terms of how we see the future of our products aligning together. And that's sort of, for me, the, the remit of sales enablement. And someone, if you're talking about the people buying as well, that's people obviously further on down the journey. They know they have a problem. They know that they need to solve it with software and they're out there talking to you and your competitors about who to buy. And then, so I think that from a personalization level as well, that's fairly much more simple, I would say, for account-based marketing because you can sort of say, you know, if you've got the customer data, you can sort of say, okay, well, this is what our product did for a similar customer in your industry. And so there's no reason why you wouldn't buy us because that this had benefit X, Y, and Z and they saw our ROI X, Y, and Z. And then from my end, it's kind of like, okay, well, if we were to talk to these accounts and they aren't ready to buy yet, then we need to personalize and create content that keeps them engaged. So when a buying process happens... And if I'm doing my job correctly, I am saying to them that you need to engage in a buying process pretty soon because if you stay in the status quo, it's to your detriment. That's the kind of content that, that I need to be creating for that process so that this audience is growing larger and larger and becoming more and more aware of change that needs to happen within their business. Although you sort of find that customers know that they need to change. It's a couple of, an interesting thing around that as well is they sort of I was talking to a guy from LinkedIn who was saying that they developed a model which showed that someone in the first 18 months of their job is more likely to go ahead and make a change within a business because they have the energy for it. And uh, I mean, off the record, sort of, they were saying that there is a jaded point where after 18 months, people become jaded and just sort of don't really care about making changes again. So it's like they specifically looked at as this first 18 months when someone joins a the business, they need to be targeted within an account with softwares because they're the people most likely to make changes. So that's another interesting thing. I think just another level as well. If you can identify those people who just started within a job, then they're the type of people you should be targeting really strictly with this status quo change type content because they're going to have the most energy to drive that as the champion of change within the business. So I think that's kind of what the role of uh, content marketing is from that perspective is looking at, okay, well, how do we identify these people within a business? How do we know that they're engaged? And are they ready to be agents of change? And once we can tick that off within the CRM and develop that with marketing ops as to these are the guys that we should be going after or this account has a swell of interest in our status change or status quo change content. Let's start hitting them with the products that are going to help them drive business changes and those kind of content from sales enablement. And then obviously from that sales enablement, you can enter into an SDR conversation and you need to sort of keep SDRs abreast of all that sort of story that you're telling from top to tail. Oh, got it. I, I love I love how you brought up the, the first 18 months. We were actually having a strategy session with a client this morning and we were debating that we were building a kind of prioritization matrix for their accounts. Yeah. And we were debating that as a factor that if if we identify one of these uh, one of these components that is going to have a very strong score, whether whether it's going to have a strong score in terms of pushing that up the uh, up the ladder of, of accounts or not. So um, so I, I, I love how you I would. How you, I would argue it does. I would argue it does. I mean, you know, I've seen it time and time again. Uh, I mean, I even did it when I first got in the chair. You know, you're pumped up, you're ready to make changes, you're ready to put your foot or make your stamp on the roll. And so you become a, um, what would they call you in Vegas? I think they call you a evangelist. Evangelist, yes. Yes, that's the software. right way to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said pigeon, but yeah, evangelist, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Last question that I wanted to ask you is what are, what do you think 
you know, what, what were maybe some of the challenges you had? Or what do you think there are some of the challenges that marketers in general have when they start to think about ABM, content creation for ABM? It's like a maturity matrix, right? So where are you right now in terms of your content development? And I think the first thing to define, again, I think with content production or making changes across any kind of content production process is to understand who are all the stakeholders that are involved. And one of the things that I always do is I map out, I ask all the content marketers across the business, what's your process for developing content? And what we do is we draw it out on a whiteboard and then I'll show them exactly where the content strategy sits. And more often than not, it doesn't sit with the content marketer. It'll sit with either the marketing director or it'll sit with a subject matter expert who is dictating what the topics are and is dictating those kinds of things. So I think that that's the first step is identifying where the strategy sits and then creating, engaging those stakeholders to steal back or not steal back, but wrestle back the strategy to say, hey, we understand what the topics are. You know, we'll be the authority of that. We just want your expertise and your approval. So I think that's sort of the first step is if you don't actually own the strategy, you need to identify that. And so we've sorted that out now where the strategy does sit with us. And so I think the next step after that is, well, how do we scale production and understand what kind of content people are in our fields or our industries are willing to consume? And so that requires a lot of experimentation and gut feel. And that's where experience comes into play unless you have a robust robust data set that the company's been capturing for a while that will say things like people engage with white papers dramatically or, you know, for B2B, you can almost set your watch to third-party analyst reports. So if you could commission guys like Foresters or Tier 2 analysts to create reports for you, that's almost money in the bank and you could set your watch to that. So once you can identify and understand what content they consume, then you can start looking at, okay, well, the next phase now is to produce that format of content for these personas, for these people in the buying journey. And then basically see from there in your CRM, what is the velocity of these people moving through that sales journey, right? So if we're giving them white papers and we know that they're in an informational stage, how much quickly, uh, that's not a word, but how much faster do they move from the informational research stage to actually going into a buying process or engaging with an SDR? That is, again, rife with process problems because, you know, one of the things that you'll find is if someone's downloading a form, I know this is across a lot of businesses, that will go into a queue or a lead queue and then that will just, uh, an SDR will call them. And I can tell you just from personal experience and anecdotal experience, when I'm going through a research glut or a binge, the last thing I want is for Adobe to call me up and be like, hey, do you want to switch CRMs? I'm like, that's (laughs) not what's going on here. I just wanted to read about your product and understand sort of how you guys approach the process. So again, that's sort of another development, another challenge that you need to go through. And I think where we're trying to get to in Hexagon, because we're sort of sitting in that phase right now, is how do we uh, address that velocity with content? So how quickly can we get people to move through or engage into a buying process when they normally wouldn't? That's where we're sitting. But I think the next phase after that is personalization. So how do we actually go, okay, at each of these stages, we know that this content helps people move through to the next stage faster. So what can we do to make that even quicker? And how can we then create content faster and at more scale that's more personalized that creates so yeah, let that even more faster sales velocity? And I think that's where you're looking at a dashboard and you're saying, okay, well, if we start moving this asset to here or this asset to here in that buying journey, what impact does that have? And then you sort of move out of this role of, and hopefully you've got your content creation process sorted 
but you're moving more into that strategist role where you're looking at, okay, well, where do we deploy content that helps people more effectively get into buying journeys with us? And what are those 10 or 20% of assets that are doing the heavy lifting? And let's take those assets, re-optimize, personalize them even further, and then put them into these sales journeys again and see what impact that has on velocity. Love it. I love it. Andrew, I've asked most of the questions that I want to ask, right? But before before we move on, because I have a few rapid questions I want to ask you, but before we move on, is there anything else that you think maybe I didn't touch on that there is value for us to discuss with regards to content and ABM? I mean, not really. I think it's like from a content perspective, a lot of the times just what success looks like is engagement when it first starts. So a lot of people will be like, okay, well, why are we developing? One of the things I'm doing at the moment is creating just a glut of white papers. And people are like, why are we doing this? And it's like, I went, oh, and are we going to be doing this forever? And it's kind of like, well, no, I think what we don't understand yet is, as I was saying before, is that format and what impact it has during the journey that people go on to buy. And so there's always these questions, I think, if you're in a organization, a large organization, or even a small business as to what impact does this have in sales? And it's really difficult to say that content is a silver bullet that does these things. It's just kind of, it's a market force, you know. Um, we know that behaviorally people engage with this. So I think the one thing is, is building the business case around, because the investment, for example, the investments that we're making around some of these econometric model studies that we want to do is quite large. You know, it may be in excess of six figures. And for me to sort of say that to people in a business that is has some belief that content has an impact, but I can't say to them, if you invest this money, it will equal this many sales. All I can really say is we will have the numbers that will define and help overcome internal stakeholder problems. But I can also guarantee you that if we overcome those problems, we will have better sales messaging. And so I think the one thing is just developing business cases can be quite difficult if your business is focused solely on things like, well, what's the return on this investment? It's kind of unfortunately like coming back to advertising, which is, uh, (laughs) you know, it works, right? So you just kind of need to trust. So you need to be really methodical in developing your business case for these investments because and that's defining what that journey is and when people make those buying decisions and saying what we're missing in here is this message and if we have this message it's going to make things a lot simpler and you verify that by talking with salespeople and getting their feedback because if they if salespeople are saying this is the content that we need then the next step or ipso facto from that is well if salespeople have that they're going to close more deals aren't they so we need to make this investment Got it. Got it. Okay. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's do some rapid questions. Okay. And I I definitely want to touch on those before we wrap up. So the first question that I have is what is one resource? It could be a book. It could be a podcast. It could be a talk that fundamentally changed the way you, you work and you approach marketing. It was probably Brian Dean. Do you know Brian Dean? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, I, I mean, I'm obsessed with SEO. I think it's the coolest thing. Because I'm working with an algorithm, right? Because I use um, Google for everything. And then to figure out that there are ways to not game the system, but to sort of uh, help the algorithm favor you more, you know, those kind of things really fundamentally changed me from my journalist background of providing stories and blowing the lid off things and providing cool content into, oh, there's an approach here from a marketing perspective, which translates into business results. And that's sort of when my career started to take off as well. 
So sort of rather than being so focused on themes and messages, I think Brian Dean, Neil Patel, those kind of guys help me understand that if you do this the right way and you develop, yeah, good content's great, but here's how that content then translates into dollars, which is realistically what we're here to do. Unfortunately, capitalism won, sorry, communism, but we're here to sort of make money. And so if you understand what you're doing and how that has a business impact. And, you know, Neil Patel and Brian Dan were very good at sort of opening my mind to that. Got it. Okay. Question number two is, if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Read more. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. that's like, a solid advice. Probably at, and like buy, buy books all the time. I think that's the one thing. I, if you travel, just go into the airport thing and just buy a book outside of your wheelhouse as well. So one of the books I bought recently was, well, not even recently, it was probably about a year ago now, was one of the things that was confronting our issue, uh, our industries was this idea of AI and artificial intelligence and what impact it would have. And I was like, well, I don't really, and everyone, our competitors were selling it, right? They were saying, we can do artificial intelligence. And I was like, for sure, there's no way that we can do that. And when I read about what machine learning was, I realized just how far away it is going to do anything that people talk about in terms of AI and business benefits and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, the benefit won't be that great in terms of what our, it is for our industries because they'll ultimately, these machines will turn into just personal assistants. And so that for me was really, really big because I read about it and I go, okay, we don't need to focus on creating content about AI because that's BS for us and our audience right now. And so we can sort of eliminate that. And so I think that's really important is to sort of just read more, learn more, constantly have that growth mindset. And if people don't like reading, you can always just watch YouTube videos. But then I would I would recommend after that reading some sources on where that YouTube video has got that from. But yeah, I think it's the education is just and staying ahead of things. I think if you're constantly leveling up your knowledge, that also translates into having being able to have executive level conversations and be like, this is where things are going and this is what's important to our business. Actually, one huge recommendation for everyone is if you're not reading Harvard Business Reviews, like on strategic marketing or on um, strategy in general, those are great places to start because they just condense all of HBR's fantastic articles into these very small, easy to read books. And they give you great foundations on, on what you need to know in terms of thinking of the bigger picture. I love that. I love that. Okay. Question number three, you've already answered that. And that's about what are the influencers that you follow in the marketing space? And you mentioned Brian Dean, and Neil Patel. Yeah. Anybody else comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole raft of people that I sort of, I look to, but I, I think a shout out would have to go to a guy I used to work with at King Content called Dan Hockley. He works for LinkedIn at the moment uh, as a content evangelist. And he's um, he's got a great way of looking at things as well. I think just outside of, you know, he's a local guy. So anyone sort of around Australia or, or Southeast Asia, you know, you can sort of go and have a chat to him or reach out to him or read his stuff. He's always got a great way of breaking things down and looking at it. I think that's, uh, yeah, he was a, a big inspiration early on. So I always like to give him a shout out. I love it. Okay. And last thing that I have is what is something that excites you about B2B today? What excites me about it? That's funny. I think it's uh, it's more interesting than business to consumer, I feel, because everything that I read sort of tells me that there's no emotion in this process of buying. It's all very group-based decision and reason will prevail. And I like that because I get into, I'm a, I used to be a debater back in high school and university. 
And uh, I love getting in arguments. It always, <laughs> not arguments, I suppose, uh, rigorous debates. <laughs> discussions, discussions. Discussions, discussions, and brand always comes up. And so I, I get excited about where B2B is going because I think brand is kind of like the ancillary byproduct to a lot of other activities that you take. It's not something like Coca-Cola or Pepsi where you can sort of say, if you drink Coke, you'll be super, super sexy. Uh, so it's not like buying our products will make you more attractive to the opposite or same sex, right? It's just like, no, what business benefits do you have? And you have to have that conversation. And I think that's where, okay, well, if we started talking to analysts and convinced analysts of what our products are doing and what the vision is for the future of our products, then they're going to have conversations with our customers and they're going to, our customers are going to trust the analysts more. And that's going to be good for our brand because analysts are talking about us. And so that's the way that I like to sort of view things. And sort of that's what gets me excited about it because controversial. Yeah. I, uh, I love it. You got to be controversial, otherwise you got to you got to take a stand, man. You got to take yeah, a stand. Yeah, exactly. No, I love it. Look, Andrew, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for jumping on the podcast. And again, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's really, really nice of you to ask humble old me to have a chat with you about the stupid thoughts that I have. The pleasure is all mine, man. And uh, and this is this is a pretty insightful conversation. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will also be enjoying it as well. Thanks a lot. No worries, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. We're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.